This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, and for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week is an individual that's lived out a dream that most people can only dream about and think about, and that is playing and being around the sport they love their entire life. Our next guest is the Executive Vice President of Business Development, Community Relations, and Hockey Partnerships with the Minnesota Wild, Jamie Spencer. Jamie, welcome to the show. Travis, thanks for having me. Good to be here today. Good, Jamie. Well, so, so as I previously mentioned, you know, a lot of people grow up with the dream of certainly being around sports their entire life. And I think you probably took it one step further as you grew up playing hockey, then you played college hockey for the Wisconsin Badgers. What was some of your most memorable experiences playing in college? Well, before I get into that, Travis, I just want to say a couple things. I mean, for those that don't know me, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that can be learned from from just listening and observing from a lot of different leaders. So I hope that you'll find some value and know that I don't have it all figured out, but I'll certainly try to help you figure out what your path looks like. Um, you know, playing college hockey, going to your question, I never grew up thinking I was going to be a college hockey player. I mean, I was a kid that tried every sport for many years and, and I played four different sports and I loved whatever season I was in. And so when it came time really in high school, to, to pick a sport, I really, I couldn't pick just one. So I picked baseball and I picked hockey because I felt like they were a good combination for me. And I, I just loved those two sports. And, and the fact that I got, you know, selected to move on in my career and go to a college, I mean, frankly, before my first visit to a major university, I didn't know what division one hockey was. I grew up in Indiana. I grew up in a state which, you know, not a lot of people know hockey there. And I grew up in basketball country. So to be able to play college hockey, I think the thrill of just being able to put on a college uniform and play a sport I love with equipment that was purchased for me, which I couldn't get over the fact when I go in the, for my first, you know, fitting and I'm like, wait a minute, I can pick any stick I want. And I mean, there were just so many things that I just felt uh, grateful for the opportunity and the friendships that I were able to, to gather, uh, not just from my hockey team, but you know, players and just the University of Wisconsin was a great school, great institution, met some great people. And, and I think, you know, walking out of there, I just felt really proud to be a Badger and not just for our hockey performance, just be a member of that university and all the learning and education I got there was, was second to none. 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. And obviously you're very athletic. And, and so as, as far as college hockey, what position did you play? I was a forward and it's mainly a way of saying that I wasn't necessarily the greatest centerman or the greatest winger. So I had to kind of go where my coach put me. Um, but I, I just really, I enjoyed every aspect of playing the game. And, and there were times when I was put on the power play and played defense, you know, at the top of the, the, the pyramid. And um, so I had a lot of experience and really, I just went where the coach put me. Very versatile. And, and you, you ended up being the captain of the team in your senior season and the team won the WCHA final uh, championship. Uh, so first and foremost, congrats. And, and you know, being a captain of any team, you know, shows leadership skills, let alone college hockey. So what did you experience that season as a captain that has ultimately fast forwarded into your business now into business leadership? Well, let me tell you a quick story because a lot of times people focus on the, the results you know, which is, hey, you guys won the championship. But what they don't know about that season was right before that season started that summer, we had two or three of our star players sign NHL contracts, um, which left us a little shorthanded in the skill department. And I remember talking to a couple of the other captains and said, hey, what are we going to do about this? Our team is down and out. We lost some of our best players. How are we going to deal with this? And literally the next day, in our local paper, there was a, you know, the preseason poll. It had us picked to finish sixth out of 10 in the Western Conference Hockey, the Western Collegiate Hockey Association. And the first thing we thought of is, well, let's cut this paper out. Let's stick it in our locker room. And this is the summer, mind you. And it said, our, our work begins now because no one believes in us. Yeah. And if we don't believe in us, no one else is going to believe in us. And so you know, we went on a journey that season. It really was. And, and you hear about, you know, pinups in the locker room and we lived it. But what it taught me that year was, you know, would we win a championship? Look, we wanted to. We really believed we could. But in the back of our minds, we're like, yeah, but we're not that skilled. And so we worked all summer long. All of us tried to add muscle, add strength, work out together, um, you know, build those relationships and things. And we went in with, you know, a little chip on our shoulder that season. And having been a part of that, I think it teaches you really quickly that, you know, we can, if you work together, you can really achieve things that maybe stretch your limits a little bit. And I remember a quick story. There was a guy, I won't name names, but we had to, it was a guy that had played every game. He was a, a friend of mine. We we're in the same class. We had to go to our coach and say, Hey, look, we think this guy's got to get up. We got to sit him. Like he's not buying into the program and he's taking liberties and was playing selfish. And, and that was a hard decision. And we made that as a, as the three of us, the three captains that year, we hated doing it, but yep. that sacrifice was for the team. It wasn't personal. And that player had a, a real problem with that. He had to sit out that a, a game, but that lesson had to sort of go in there. And, and, and um, sometimes leadership is tough. And it taught me that, you know, without making sacrifices, you really can't get anywhere. And they, they're not fun sacrifices. They're not popular. And as fate would have it, that same player, ironically, scored the overtime winning goal to take our team to championship. And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, hey, maybe this is divine. Maybe this was meant to be. And that was part of the process. So, again, going to my point, if you just focus on the results and said, hey, we had a great team that year, the, the truth is we had a lot of great people and a lot of guys pulling on the rope. And that's what led us to championship. And it really taught me about you know, at, at whatever I was, 21 years old, that, you know, you have to rely on each other and, and you have to go deeper than, than you want to to get the ultimate results. 
Yeah. And I, I think Jamie, I think a lot of great piece of advice there that people can apply to their every day, right. From, you know, from that star player getting benched, he could have easily given up, you know, so as you're sitting there as a sales professional or sales leader, you get passed, you're on the bottom of the board, you could give up. He obviously kept working at it. Score is one of the winning goals. You know, you talk about the adversity and, you know, a lot of people work in this business. Not everybody gets to, to hold a championship trophy at the end of the year. Very few people ever get to do that in their career. And so, Odds are you're probably working for teams that may not have great records. And so how can you go together with your teammates and find ways to win even on the business side? So no, I certainly appreciate that advice. And, and so Jamie, you know, obviously with your end, it seems like leadership started with you even prior to that. As you went to Culver Military Academy, which you know, I did some research on their website and they say that right on their website is their motto, leadership approach that develops young men into leaders of character. So you know, what was that experience like for you? It's so hard to describe. I mean, I spent four years of my life um, living literally at the, at the, I say university, at the, at the school. It's a boarding school, Northern Indiana, small town. I, I packed my bags. I had just turned 14 and off I went, you know, and you live with um, a unit like the military. There were 60 people in my unit. Um, there's a boys, boys and girls school, about 800 students total. You're, you know, you kiss your mom, you shake your dad's hand, give him a hug, and then you're off to school. And I didn't really know what I was signing up for. And I don't think anybody says, hey, I want to be a, a military school kid. But I went there to be a hockey player. Um, at the Really, the, the advice of my youth hockey coach said, look, you might have a career in this. And you, you really need to find a place that, that, that works for you. So about this was about three hours north from my home. And you know, when you don't have your mom and dad at home with you every night or, you know, you're kind of forced to grow up with 60 other guys in a unit and you really understand what the school teaches is rank and file. It teaches you how to get along with people from all over the world, different backgrounds and perspectives. Um, teaches you how to find common goals and how to maybe you don't have to love each other, but you got to find a way to, to get along and coexist. And and then you add in layers of leadership from, you know, Purple Heart winners that went out and served our country and, and being in a leadership class and hearing their stories about, you know, not, not just leading in business, but leading in survival and how to, how to, to, to prep your mind for, for war. I mean, it was, I remember hearing these stories and just being blown away with the character and the values of these men that were, you know, teaching us what it's like to be. Uh, well-rounded and, and I went there to be a hockey player and the truth is I came out just I would consider just a more well-rounded individual that understood different perspectives um, earn, you learn how to earn things you learn about the, the very first thing you learn is the history of the school and they they put you through a pretty good regiment of learning all the facts and the past history and and who all went there and, and what are the you know the score the, the, the values of the school and I mean it just goes on and on the lessons that are learned and 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 then you get to hockey practice at night. That's like the payoff is you finally get to play the sport that you love. Um, but my high school coach there was one of the best leaders I've ever experienced in my life. And, and the one thing I will say quickly is there is no perfect style of leadership. I've learned that. I, and I, I learned a style of leadership from him that's a little more quiet. It's, it's about action. It's about details and integrity. It's about accountability and hustle. I love the word that, that you use and, and live by because that's a word that he really instilled in me. Our practices were way harder than our games. Yeah. And he did that by design. And so I went there and four years later, the maturity level that I had, I mean, going to college was a piece of cake, you know, getting into, you know, studying 
and getting into getting along in a, in a big school like University of Wisconsin. And so I didn't realize the life skills I would get from Culver and the, the specific leadership skills that it would instill in me and, and just what I would take from not just my coach, but my teachers and faculty. And it's a special place that definitely shaped me a lot. And I feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to attend. Yeah, and you know, even the independent life skill, right? You're 14 years old, you're going in and going to a boarding school, and it's like the pre-college before college. And so, you know, I think hopefully our listeners here on 52 Weeks also also take in and think about growing up, you know, maybe they didn't go to a boarding school, but they probably played a sport or were in the Boy Scouts or a church camp or whatever it may be. Like, think about some of those skill sets you had to learn early on and how you can still apply to your everyday. Um, and making sacrifices, Travis. I think you know if you want something, I, that teach, you got to earn it. And you got to you got to go outside your comfort zone. I didn't want to go to military school. I didn't want to leave my friends. You know, starting my ninth grade year, where most kids are looking forward to their high school experience with the kids they might have grown up with. And so, you know, I remember, man, I was homesick. I was, you know, there were days I questioned in my mind if I made the right choice, and and I was, you know, afraid of how I may fail. And fought through that and it, it gave me some life skills and I think it's important that um, you know we all put our our sacrifices into whatever it is that we believe in or passionate about because that's the only way that you get rewarded. No I love it and, and Jamie you, you mentioned you, you kind of went there to start to, to play sports you're obviously very athletic captain of the college hockey team you're an inductee to the Culver Academics Athletic Hall of Fame for both baseball and hockey and then post-college, you end up going on to play a few years in the ECHL, IHL, and AHL. And, you know, one thing I noticed, both looking up your stat line, you know, post-college, but also, you know, in general in sports, the semi-pro leagues, you're almost doubling the amount of games that you played, you know, in high school and in college. So I'm sure the work ethic and competitiveness kicked in probably even more. So, you know, playing in those semi-professional leagues, what was that experience like? And, you know, kind of going back to the term of hustle, like, how did that help you just hustle a little bit more? Yeah, well, first of all, you got to know that every guy sitting around you in that room was a star somewhere. They came from somewhere that they were, you know, at an elite level. And you, you really learn quickly the fine line, for example, between the American Hockey League and the National Hockey League. And for those, you know, watching today's podcast that maybe don't know, the 85% of all NHL players spend time in the American Hockey League developing their skills or maybe waiting for their turn um, and earn the spot on an NHL roster. So that was the highest level I ever achieved. And I remember just being so enamored with the skill level, even at that league, you know, there were so many players that were worthy of NHL contracts that were either waiting for someone above them to retire or, and I think many can relate to that in your business career, someone that's extremely smart and, yeah. and dynamic, that's maybe a leader just a step ahead of you. And so the first thing I learned is patience, you know, and that not everything comes easy and you're kind of starting there, but looking around the room, it reminds me of, I mean, I had a Russian on one side of me, a Czech on the other. I mean, literally one of my line mates couldn't speak English. So <laughs> we had to quickly establish how we're going to communicate yeah. on the ice and, and how we're going to, you know, somehow perform at a high level with a lot of different challenges that, that are in front of us there. But, you know, again, um, you're, it's not a glamorous life. You're riding buses. You're you're traveling. That you know the number of games as you pointed out doubles, and your body hurts. It's always you're always battling something. You don't know what town you're in most nights, um, and you're giving your life to a sport. You're not 
you know, you can't go to holidays and you can't go to birthday parties and things. So again, that word sacrifice comes in and it really forces you to consider, Hey, am I built for this? You know, and, and it, you, it's a, your every day is survival. You never know if you're going to get traded or sent to another team. And, and there's rumors about that all the time. And, you know, a lot of people maybe that haven't worn a jersey or, or competed in a league like that, it gives you a sense of what these athletes go through at the highest level when maybe they're not performing to their level. Imagine if your sales job's not going well and it's being reported all over the media. Right. Um, you and know, then it's you're hard enough to come like the minors. Yeah, exactly. That you could get, you know, sent down a level if you don't hit your sales quota that week. And so it builds resilience. It really does. And it, it, it also forces you into, into deep thinking about what you want to do with your life. And if you're really meant to be, you know, uh, an NHL player. And in my case, frankly, I came to the realization that I just had hit my peak. That was it. I hit the end of the road. Um, I, I definitely could have played many more years. I could have gone to Europe. I had contract offers to continue being, you know, a quote unquote minor league player, but that wasn't my goal. I, I never signed up to, you know, make a bunch of money in Europe. I signed up because I wanted to wear an NHL jersey. And when that dream, you know, we all faced the reality that that was gone. That's when I switched, you know, my career and tried to, to, to get into something that I loved a different way. Well, you certainly hit your peak a, a lot longer, you know, in life than, than myself and probably a lot of our listeners, you know, we usually hit our peak in about high school and say, you know what, if we can survive through high school athletics, <laughs> then we got to move on. So you obviously played that. And then, you know, like we talked about at the start of it, you know, you had this dream to be around hockey, and you loved hockey. And so after your hockey life, you kind of, to your point, hit your peak, you end up becoming one of the founding staff members that helped launch the Minnesota Wild as an expansion team. You had a big focus on cultivating a fan base and customer service. Like, so prior to that, like, it sounds like you know, your entire life has been around sports. Like, have you have ever had a sales job prior going into that? And, and kind of how did that wild job come about? Yeah, so let me back up and say that, you know, we, we all come to that point where, you know, rubber meets the road. And I remember I, I had a potential contract offer coming from the Anaheim Ducks at that time. And, and my dream call had come in that, hey, I'm going to camp. I got to be ready. As I recall, that was in May of 1997, let's say. So here you're thinking, oh, my gosh, my, finally, my dreams has, have arrived. And I'm, I'm, my mind is set on, you know, continuing NHL. And then I hear about you know, some setbacks in my contract. I had an agent and some of those things were starting to creep in, you know, is that, you know, maybe there's guys more important in signing than me. And so it really forced me into thinking and I'm loyal to a fault, I realized. And so I, I, I continue to stay with that organization thinking I might, you know, have a chance. And towards the end of that summer, all bets were off and, and my contract had, had dissipated. But if you go back to June, um, I was living and training in Minnesota, that was my first experience ever living in Minnesota, and, and there was a high concentration of NHL players that trained here, and I, I felt like, hey, to be the best, you got to be around the best, and you got to learn their work habits, and so that's what I chose to do, and so I, I remember hearing rumors the last year of my minor league career that there was an NHL team that was going to start up again in the Twin Cities area, and anyone that's been to Minnesota knows that, I mean, they call it the state of hockey for a reason. People love yeah. their hockey here, and I really fell in love with that culture that summer that I was living here. And when I heard that there was a, the opportunity that there could be an NHL franchise, I was finally at a point in my career where I thought, you know, I got to learn more than I'm currently learning. My life was waking up, get my body, you know, in shape, training for the day, getting 
getting on the ice, and then I had free time. So with that free time, I must have made 100 phone calls to find out how I might be able to somehow work for this soon-to-be NHL team that was going to be reborn in Minnesota, only on the premise, really, that I would learn and develop and understand, you know, that I had a lot of, of um, learning to do in the professional side of my life, you know, with, with my business career. And so June, of, June 25th, to be exact, 1997, I was hired to be an intern for the Minnesota Wild. And I, I shouldn't go back. Those 100 phone calls taught me that it was almost like my, a precursor to sales. 100 phone so calls, you might get one call back. And that one call back was from the, the one and only uh, Greg Hoyt, who was hiring, I guess, the initial onslaught of, of uh, Wild personnel. And I happened to be one of them. So I signed up, met him for coffee, actually, that about a day before. And he said, look, here's the deal. We need bodies. We need people to come in and help us. We don't even know what that means yet. We can't offer you a lot of money. We're seven bucks an hour. I said, done. Tell me where to be. And I came in and, and literally didn't know even how to dress coming into that first day. And they put me in, you know, what we would refer to in the, in the sales area as a boiler room and said, hey, answer phones, drum up some deposits. We're going to hit the ground running. And, and I just, I couldn't believe all that went into, you know, behind the scenes as a hockey player you never look at like the board the dashboard and say hey I wonder how that company went about putting their name on that or how that family of four went and bought their tickets or or who came up with the music that they're playing right you don't think about that yeah, stuff you kind of had a one-track mind as a player 100 percent. and so the revelation I had was holy cow there's way more to this business than I ever knew and in a strange phenomenon happened that summer is I actually enjoyed going to the work to my office job more than I did the rink for the first time in my life. And I knew at that moment, you know, after auditing myself a little bit, I said, you know, something's going on here. And um, I did a little self-evaluation and to the chagrin of my agent, my parents, by the end of that summer, having some contract issues, I said, hey, I'm done. And the CEO of our company at that point, you know, called me when I had some contract issues and said, look, I know you're probably at a crossroads. Um, you're probably wondering what you what to do with your your life here, but we've really liked what you've done for the last few months, and we don't even know what we'll call you, but we'd love to hire you full time if you'd consider it. And I, I took about a, a day to think about it, and you know I signed, I signed, I, I I agreed to come to the office and be a full time member of the staff. And you know Travis, I remember I made twelve thousand dollars that year, I think, um, and it didn't really matter, and so. One of the life lessons, again, going back to sacrifices, I, you know, especially early in your career, the paycheck to me wasn't important. What, who I was learning from and yeah. what I was learning and, and how I could contribute and develop was important. And man, I couldn't have picked a better opportunity to learn than an expansion franchise. And, and that, it's, it's almost like getting your MBA on the job. And that's really what happened. That's, I'm glad you said that, Jamie. That's what I've always kind of lived by is that you, know, you want to work for the right people because, you know, money and, and responsibility and title, those will follow as long as you're around the right people. And it, it certainly worked out. And we're going to get into your long career path and great career path. And you kind of mentioned it. You started with this inaugural team in 97, but the inaugural season wasn't until 2000, the 2000, 2000 2001 season. So what were those several years like? Not only getting ready to play hockey. Yes, you're in, you know, kind of the Twin Cities, the, the, the hockey state but also going through a new arena build. Like what was some of that experience? And you mentioned like you had some exposure to basically a, a mini NBA. Yeah. So um, 
for context, Minnesota had been without an NHL franchise for about seven and a half years. Okay, so 1997 rolls around, the Wild opened their doors, and it wasn't known as the Wild right away. It was called Minnesota Hockey NHL. We were almost like the Seattle franchise right now. It's it's Seattle NHL, I think. <laughs> so uh, very reminiscent of of what the Wild was there. There was about a dozen of us, um, some full time, some part time. It was you know, really about revenue generation. It was about fulfilling all of the league requirements. So that meant season ticket deposit and then suite commitments. It was building an arena that was state of the art for the launch of our franchise, which was October of 2000. Um, so really, I would say that the general focus was on business development, um, building a brand. And you notice I haven't mentioned players or GM or coaches. That was sort of the last piece of the, of the puzzle. It was really building the business from ground up, including physically building an arena um, to open our doors in 2000. And so, you know, I was asked to do so many things in, in, in different ways that, frankly, I wasn't necessarily equipped for, but, but uh, you know, I had great leaders that said, hey, look, just do your best, you know, get out there. And, and I love that time in my career because we were less structured. We didn't have like formal departments and, and titles. It was more of a, hey, you're skilled at this, go do it. You know, and and then as time went on, it took us about three and a half years, and, and slowly we we were ready to open our season. And, and that sounds like a lot of time, but I'll tell you, having lived through it, there's so much fear of like it's almost like putting a wedding together, and here comes the big day, and then you have 82 more of those to follow, right? When you go on the road and play, you have your 40 41 home games regular season. But so I I just can't tell you how much I learned in that three and a half years, and then as we opened our doors to our fans, how much you learn in those early years of, of um, you know, critics and, and positivity, and you, you kind of get every emotion and every different point of feedback. But there's a lot of pressure when you're opening up a franchise to perform, not just on the ice, but, you know, for the business to perform. And that's why when you see, you know, like the Vegas Golden Knights coming to the NHL a couple of years, I, I, you know, just super proud of everything they did. And I know Seattle's feeling that pressure right now and in our league so a lot of lessons to be learned and, and again it was like dog years I think every year was equal to seven and when you're starting a franchise but I'll, I'll forever be grateful for being part of that original team yeah and I think even some of the organic advice here just in the first 25 minutes of 52 weeks of hustle again the guest today Jamie Spencer EVP of the Minnesota Wild some of that organic advice is one be willing to sacrifice which you've mentioned a couple times and then also going out of your comfort zone. You know, you started going out of your comfort zone at age 14 and probably even prior to that. And then you know, traveling around these long trips, playing in the minor leagues, going out of your comfort zone to say, you know what, I'm going to hang up, you know, I'm going to hang up my skates and I'm going in the business side for 12 grand a year. Um, so, so certainly I think that's something to be said. And, you know, I'm sure little to your knowledge, Jamie, you'd end up staying in that stint with the wild for 14 years where you quickly became the VP of sales. So what is some advice that you have that helped you grow so quickly within an organization? Yeah, well, I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again because I think it's a point of emphasis that needs to be is, is, is discussed as I had leaders that believed in me and they enabled me and empowered me to make mistakes and to come up with ideas that you know I, I, I felt passionately about um, and they allowed me to probably stretch beyond my limits and my, you know, they saw things in me that I maybe didn't see in myself at the time. And that freedom to sort of perform and, and, 
and try to take what I've learned, at, you know, from being a captain, as you mentioned, of, of like a college team or a high school team and convert that into the business world. And, and what I learned quickly is, you know, when you're in a role like that, you know, establishing trust and having um, a culture, whatever that culture is. And, you know, a lot of people think culture is how much fun you have at work. And, and to me, culture is, is not always fun. Culture is, you know, it's accountability. It's showing up. It's, 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 you know, being, you know, uniformed and, and dressed for success and all the things that, you know, you hear about, but you have to know as a leader. And I learned quickly that you have to know what you stand for and you have to know what you don't stand for and what you're, you're willing to tolerate, what you're not. And, you know, when you're, when you're a, an early, I remember, you know, I'm a much different leader now than I was then. And, and I can remember promoting people for the wrong reasons or, maybe believing in a salesperson uh, to the point of, of, of maybe, you know, I just believed in them more than I should have or, or, you know, made some of those mistakes or let people off the hook when, you know, I shouldn't have. And so it was, I learned a lot and wasn't always perfect. We, we had a lot of success, but we also had a lot of failures and a lot of things I'd go back and change. But, um, you know, it, it, looking back on it now, I think, you know, that trust factor and, and knowing that, your staff has to know that you believe in them and that you'll do, you're not going to ask them to do something you're not willing to do. And I always tried to, to lead that way when I played hockey and I, I try to do that in business and, and, and be able to, you know, accept mistakes when I make them and be vulnerable. And, you know, I, I've learned that from leaders, you know, above me when I'd come in and say, Hey, what would you do in this situation? Um, a guy like Todd Lightwicky comes to mind. He was our, our president and his office was, you know, sort of right outside my cube. And, and I remember going to Todd many times and saying, Hey, what would you do in this case? And, and, you know, so leaders need to have leaders that, that they can talk to and um, build rapport with people in the industry. I remember count, calling counterparts that were four or five years ahead of me in their careers and saying, Hey, what would you do? Have you ever come across this situation and know that you can't solve it all yourself? Um, those were all things I learned and, and um, I continue to learn. I still don't have it figured out, you know, and there's still people I lean on. Um, Steve Griggs was my direct boss. Steve Griggs, now the CEO of Tampa and, and Steve really instilled that hustle and accountability and, and, you know, not trying to be popular, you know, popular can be a, a, a really dangerous thing in leadership. If, if you're trying to please everyone you know, it could be a really dangerous slope, but you know, those are just a few names that I think of as, as far as how I was able to, first of all, get to where I was because they believed in me and, and continue to learn from them today. Right. And like anything we do in this business, it's okay to make a mistake or okay to fail as long as you learn from it, continue to grow. And I think something you hit on a lot there is just lead by example. You know, you grew up and, and obviously a college captain of a hockey team, you're leading by example, but same thing for all of our listeners. You probably have done something, played a sport, played a musical instrument, whatever it may be growing up that you had to lead by example. And so now, whether you're a leader in this business or just hopefully being a top producer, you need to lead by example. And so, Jamie, I think you, you showed that. You're rising up the ranks within the Wild organization. You're then given the opportunity to be the executive vice president of business operations for the Houston Arrows of the AHL, which was at the time the Wild's affiliate team and you did that all while still doing your current job at the Wild. And, and oh, and, and mind you, when the, the Arrows came in, they were in Houston, Texas. So now you're, yeah. you're running basically business operations for a team in Houston. And 
we talk a lot about this business is, you know, time management efficiency. So how are you going about prioritizing your time during that venture and, and some of your learnings from it? Well, I will say again, uh, very grateful to have, you know, the opportunity, I'll say, to, you know, work as VP of sales for the wild at the same time as overseeing the business operations for Houston. It was not many times in your career can you learn and develop in the same shop. You usually have to leave an organization. Yeah. And so I think it was good for the company because they certainly didn't pay me two salaries for the work I was doing, which I <laughs> was okay with. Um, it was a nice trade-off because it, it allowed me to continue to, to develop as a leader, develop in a, in a market. I mean, you couldn't pick two very different markets than Houston, Texas, and say St. Paul, Minnesota, and selling uh, hockey in Texas in the That's American Hockey, hockey League very different than selling tickets in, in St. Paul, right, to, to predominantly a hockey fan base. So they allowed me the chance to spread my wings a little bit and, you know, work with a younger staff, um, work on all sides of the business, not just the revenue side, but the PR, the marketing, the communications. And, and it really uh, taught me a lot about I still had a long way to go in my development. That's the first thing I'll tell you. And then the time management side, um, you know, my wife, we had just had, I think, our second or third child at that time and and so you've got to balance your personal life with your professional life you're on an airplane you're trying to get your schedule figured out so the first thing i learned is to delegate and for anybody that's um ocd like me that's that's pretty hard because you're you kind of are built on control so you got to let up on the control and you got to trust people and you got to you know relinquish that because if you're the higher you get in your career, the more you have to delegate. It just, it comes with the territory and you got to let people like people have done for me is let them lead, let them have a chance. And if they're going to stumble, they're going to stumble and you're going to be there to pick them up and move on just like people have done for me. And so I was given that chance to, to sort of, you know, really continue my development and, and that journey continued in Houston. And I did that for almost three years. And, you know, we went to the Calder cup finals in my last year and, I don't think I've ever been as excited about a game. I mean, we almost sold out Toyota Center in Houston. We were very close. Mike Yo was our coach. We lost in game six, as I recall. And But I couldn't have been more proud of that staff. And one of the things you realize, especially in the minor league levels like the American Hockey League, the people that put their time in and, and, and just grind, you know. Um, I, I can picture all the people and, and the work that went in and the hustle, to use your term. Yeah, that was just something I, I will always take with me as a special time in my career. And so, yeah, I think the prioritization is just is really that you have to prioritize your day and you have to say no to certain things, um, which it took me a while. I'm, I'm sort of the guy that always says yes. And my wife gives me a hard time about that. But I've learned to say no. I've learned that not everything has to be solved in a meeting. Sometimes it's a hallway, right. um, a phone call. If you let email it can control your life, you know, and I'm sure we can all agree that there's times when we lose two hours in email, not by anything other than we just let ourselves go. Right. And, yep. and, um, you know, I, I learned that I can't just open my email in the middle of the day sometimes because it, I'm going to divert from what I really need to be doing. And, and I continue to, to look at those things. And now more recently in my careers, you've got to have, you know, solid people around you that will help say, Hey, you know, do this, don't do that, spend time doing this. And, and you, you know, being prepared, can't even tell you how important that skill is because I think anxiety comes with a lack of preparation. That's what I've learned. The, the most 
tense times in my life usually come when I'm just honestly looking in the mirror saying I'm just not prepared for what I have coming. And so being prepared is, is something that I think I've learned over the years is that's when the tense and stressful moments hit. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you mentioned, as we talked about, you end up staying with the wild for 14 years and then you make the move to Florida, you know, with the Tampa Bay lightning as the executive vice president of sales. And, you know, I'm sure there are a ton of opportunities that came along the way over those 14 years. You, you mentioned it's all about working for the right people. You're able to get more responsibility, but you know, why was that one there in Tampa, the role you ended up taking? So I've mentioned two names already, and I'll go back and mention them again. Todd Lightwicky and Steve Griggs. I knew that those two guys were reuniting, which were two of the guys that earlier in my career in Minnesota were two guys that I, I really learned and developed a lot under. When I heard that they were going to team up and then they were adding Steve Eiserman as the general manager, it's almost like the perfect three guys that you could ever, I didn't know Steve Eiserman, I knew of Steve Eiserman. And then you add in this, this uh, mysterious new owner named Jeff Vinnick. And I remember when I, I talked to Todd, who, you know, kind of took the leap of faith to join Tampa, which at that time, you know, that, that organization was in tough times. And there was a rebuild that, that needed to occur, and there was new ownership coming in. And, and so the chance to continue to develop under great leadership and a great owner, I, I love the approach that, that Jeff Vinnick was taking. I mean, he's built a team around a community, and I, I just can't say enough about the experience to be a part of that team and enter into a community. And I knew in my career I needed to – go to a new city. I needed to get out of my comfort zone. I needed to learn um, maybe a different way or, or consider a different way to, to, uh, to advance my career in the NHL. And so, you know, I didn't know a single person in Tampa. It was a, it was a big move for my family. It was a big move for me. Um, I felt like I was ready for a big challenge. And that certainly was, I mean, I think there were 3000 season tickets, you know, and there was a uh, 22,000 seats to sell and that's a daunting task, but I think everyone in their career has to take a step like that where you kind of put yourself in the line. And I wanted to test some of the things that I had learned and say, hey, let's try this in a different environment and, and, yeah. and see what works. And I'll tell you, a lot of things worked and a lot of things didn't. And, um, but I have a lot of respect, again, almost like the Houston example. I mean, the, the group of people in, in, in Tampa that you know, were courageous enough to, to accept some of us as new people into that community and, and trying to instill some inspiration in that town and, and they continue to just amaze me with the work that they do. So, um, you know, I learned a lot there and, and I just felt like the, the chance to help rebuild a franchise was something I couldn't pass up, especially with the leaders that I mentioned earlier. And then there's guys like Dr. Sutton. You mentioned him earlier. I didn't really know Dr. Sutton. Um, he was a huge benefit to the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, with the, the, the USF relationship that we had. And, um, that that personally, I developed under under Dr. Sutton and from a, a little bit of a, a perimeter, but so many great people, great organization, and it came at a good time in my career. Yeah, and you, you mentioned, you know, going out of your comfort zone and trying new things. And so, you know, you walked into the Tampa, you know, Lightning, you know, it's certainly a rebuild of an organization. You go in, you're able to triple the season ticket holder base, double overall revenue for, for sales and retail. You know, and then after a short time, you're in Tampa for three years, you get a call to come back home, you know, come back to the Minnesota Wild where you spent 14 years. Um, 
you know, what was that like professionally? But also then you mentioned you moved your family and now it's three years and you're moving back. Like walk us through, you know, some of the, the steps of that process. So let me start with, um, you know, a couple things about me and, and I'll show a little bit of vulnerability here because I think it's important. But my, um, my professional life was, couldn't have been better. It was, you know, three years, we're climbing, we're hitting revenue goals, we're, we're soaring. Um, but I have a daughter from a previous marriage, and those three years in Tampa were extremely hard on my personal life, you know, having to put my daughter on an airplane to see her. And, and we all know how many hours we put in as sports executives and trying to rebuild an organization. And so there came a point in time where I had a choice to make, and I kind of resigned myself to the fact that I couldn't go on at that pace uh, professionally and, and still be able to manage the personal relationship that I, you know, as a father, that's to me way more important than anything I achieve in business. And so uh, I'm a Christian man. I prayed really hard on it. And in about six months to a year later, I had a chance. It was uh, kind of divine that uh, the Minnesota wild were looking for someone to help, you know, transition some of the things that they'd always dreamt about doing. And so for me, it was just a much, I, I hated leaving Tampa, let me tell you, from a business perspective and for my professional career, um, I'd have been better off staying there. That's just, that's the truth. I, I was in a great spot. We were only just, you know, hitting yep. that surge. Um, but I also got to say that the opportunity at the Wild was a, a white label job that no one had ever had before. And, and we had talked about, you know, projects that the organization at the Minnesota Wild needed that. Um, they didn't really have a leader in their stable that could that that was ready to take on those challenges and and maybe because of the structure of a of a traditional sports franchise, the term business development was sort of unheard of at that time. Like if you're going to build a practice rink, for example, who possibly on your executive team has time to go and commit to doing something like that? So um, it was a really interesting opportunity, uh, the chance to work for the owner of the Wild, Craig Leopold. I mean, I had maintained a, a great friendship with him. And, you know, we had talked before my departure in Minnesota about, you know, the, the, the dream list, if you will, about things that nobody really has time for that just kind of sit there. And for, for Craig, there came a time when, when he wanted to ultimately build a practice facility for his team. He had talked about, you know, wanting to build a restaurant where fans could go and, and event goers and, and make it a 365 day proposition. So that's another project I signed up to take on and, and build the state of hockey brand, which, you know, those are three words that describe Minnesotans and how they feel about the game. But there was a lot of, you know, business opportunities to expand into merchandise, websites, tackling, you know, youth hockey issues. And, and so um, we did all that and continue to build on it. So going back to your original question, I mean, the, the chance to, rejoin the wild in, in sort of a a job that had never been done before and the chance to, to be back in the same city as my oldest daughter and, and be a good father was really too too good to pass up but again it was it was tough it was a really tough decision and I think any leader would say there are points in their career when you have to make tough ones and and uh, I tried to be selfless in my thoughts and, and make the best one for my family which I, I know I did. Well, Jamie, I certainly appreciate you, you sharing the vulnerability. And I think that's what we talk a lot about in this business is you spend a lot more time with the people you work with than you do some of your closest family. And at, at there comes a time you got to prioritize that. And so completely understand. And you, you go back to the being in the wild. You're there for six years. You talked about you're now a part of several business ventures. Herbie's on the park, State of Hockey, the brand new practice facility. And 
you know, really somewhat full circle. And so, you know, now you've been able to go through a lot of that, you know, so you started the team in the inaugural season, went through some of these other business adventures. Now you're going into your 20th season with the wild. You're overseeing all of business development. You've been around a lot of very successful people and probably people that, you know, maybe just didn't make it in this business. So what are some of those characteristics that you see in successful people, regardless of their role? Well, a couple of thoughts, and, and you've probably heard this if you listen to the full podcast, but resilience is such an important word, whether you're a leader or someone starting your career, I don't think you ever graduate from that, in that things aren't always going to go your way. There's going to be bumps and bruises along the way. There's going to be tough decisions. And, you know, um, I, I, I'm not a guy that likes to look back. I like to look ahead. And I think that when you're resilient, you know, there are going to be points when you're going to be you know, put to the limit. And there's times in my career where I thought about not being in sports anymore because I could have made more money or, you know, we, we get the allure of all that and settling in. And, you know, maybe at the point when you're starting to get married or have children, it, the hours start to weigh in on you and maybe it's too much. So, I mean, that's one thing that comes to mind. And I think the older I've gotten and the more I've, I've developed in my career, I've really tried to focus on the, the skill of listening and specifically empathic listening and I remember learning this in a sales training years and years ago uh, from Rob Cornelis um, with Gameface, who, who was hired to come in. And, and he really, it, it struck a chord in me is that the best salespeople are the best listeners. That really resonated with me. And I would say the same is true for a lot of leaders is an empathic listening by, you know, the, the root word is empathy, but it's by definition, it's listening first to understand, then respond. And too many times, and especially if you look at our culture and the way that, that we all operate now, we're talking more than we're listening. And so I think good leaders are good listeners. They, they try to gain perspective. Um, they may not always take action based on what they're hearing, but they're certainly going to hear you out. So I've really tried to, to lean in on that skill of empathic listening because it served me well in my sales career and continues to, to I hope, serve me well in, in the leadership that I try to bring to the table. And, you know, I just showed vulnerability, but I think good leaders and people that, um, you know, is, is be around people that are, that are willing to be vulnerable because I think we're, we all have our insecurities and we're all battling those. And, and as leaders, I feel like the best leaders are the ones that show that, you know, maybe they don't always, they're not the smartest people in the room, you know? And, and, and um, I would just say, if you, if you went and looked at my career, I'm almost a prototype for how not to get hired in sports. When you look <laughs> at, I don't have an MBA. I don't have a sport management degree. Um, I didn't grow up wanting to be a sports executive. It's not something that burns in my belly, you know, to be that. I just enjoy what I do, and and um, and I don't know where the journey is going to take me next. I'm I'm trying not to be too calculated, or you know, I'm not set on a position or a title or a certain amount of money. I, I never have been kind of wired that way, and I don't want to start now. And so, um, you're never really done, you know, with your development. And so, I guess to summarize, I just think that. You know, wherever you're at in your career, there is no golden path. There's no right or wrong. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, am I better off to get an MBA or, you know, it, it really is a personal choice and, and, and be the leader you want to be. As I started the, the podcast today, there's every kind of leader. There's not a, a certain type of leader that's better than another. There, there's styles of leadership and really selecting a style of leadership that suits you well is really important. So you're not trying to be someone that you're, you're just inherently not. Yeah. No, I think Jamie from that is, you know, enjoy the journey. And, and I love the listening piece. It's right. You have, 
you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should do twice as much listening as you talking. And you've obviously had a great career and very successful, you know, in this industry, but also something personally that, that I've always been intrigued by you is you serve on the board of the Hendrickson Foundation and serve as the chair of the Special Olympics in Minnesota. And so why is, is ultimately raising funds and giving back to the community so important to you? So a couple things is, um, first of all, again, going back to vulnerability, I have two older brothers. I got a younger sister. And my next oldest brother was born with three different intellectual disabilities. And I had sort of a front row seat in really understanding life challenges from someone else's perspective, which happened to be my brother. So from basically birth until the age of 13, and I already shared the story going to Culver, my brother Rick um, you know, was my roommate. And two single beds in one room, uh, battling through every day of, of life with him and seeing the world, you know, through his his eyes. And I watched him get bullied. I watched him get made fun of. I watched um, him struggle to tie his shoes or or speak. Um, I, I saw him go through different phases of of his development. And so it wasn't until I really got older that I realized that you know, being a Christian man. I've been given certain skills, I believe, you know, as, and I've been born into certain things. And it only makes sense that I don't want to just use my skills for my own self and my own self-interest and for my professional career. Is where, where can I turn my skills to an organization or, or, or a specific group of people that maybe needs more help than they can do? And so I, I really got to that point where when I really thought about it, I thought, you know, my, my brother Rick is an important leader in my life and, and talk about a guy I've learned from who can't really speak well and you know has never had a business career but watching him just every day persevere has been uh, an amazing inspiration to me and so in his honor I decided that you know it's probably best for me to, to um, get involved with the Special Olympics and if you've never been to a Special Olympics event I highly 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 recommend going I mean I, I love in particular you know, people call it a disability when you have, you know, Down syndrome. I mean, you talk about people that have life figured out. They don't know how to be mean. They, they love. They don't care how they dress. And I'll tell you what, whatever their disability could be or their physical uh, setbacks, they will compete. They are, they're wired uh, for competition. And so it became really important to me. And so I, I literally, I called the CEO of Special Olympics Minnesota, and I, I kind of told them, I, I want to get involved. And, you know, we had coffee and we talked and, and we quickly decided that this was probably, you know, something that made sense. And so, I don't know, I've been maybe on, on the board for five years. I currently chair the board and it's one of the, it's awesome. you know, it's just such a fun thing. And, and one of the byproducts of this has been, I am learning, I, there's so many good board members that have totally different industries and backgrounds and, and, what I find is that our challenges are pretty similar, yet we're very in very different sectors of business. And so some of these board members have become good friends and, and inspiring leaders and, and have really pushed me on my limits of, of learning. And I can say the same of the Hendrickson Foundation. It's, um, it was founded by Larry Hendrickson, who, who passed about two years ago now, I believe. Um, Larry is an iconic figure in the state of Minnesota. I happened to play at college hockey against his two boys, Darby, who was a wild player, actually played for Minnesota, and his brother, Danny Hendrickson. So since Larry has since passed, 
Um, you know, Larry is all about helping people with disabilities and, and specifically people that have physical disabilities to play hockey. So Larry went on a quest and not unlike Travis, how you started your podcast, you said, hey, I'm just going to do this because I think it's, it's something I want to do. It's exactly what Larry did. And I remember getting a phone call from his son, Danny, one day, and he said, hey, Jamie, we're doing this celebrity game in, in Blaine, Minnesota. And we were hoping maybe you could lace them up again and play in our game and, and you know, be an inspiration for kids and, and people that are, you know, forced to play hockey in, in sleds. You know, they, they don't have use of their, their legs and in some case their arms. And I said, yeah, I don't know much about it. I'd love to come. I literally came into that rink that day. I set my bag near the glass and I could not take my eyes off the rink. And what I saw out in the rink were military veterans who had lost their legs in combat that are out there competing on a sled playing hockey. I saw young kids that never had legs to begin with on a sled playing a hockey, you know, the same game I love. And, and I just, I spent about 30 minutes just totally moved by what I saw on the ice. And I, you know, Danny, I finally see him and, Hey, we're going to get you in the locker room. I go, Danny, I want to help you here. This is, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And so they're a very young organization, nonprofit, and it's blood, sweat, and tears with that group. And, and they, they're built on passion, and, and um, I fit really well in with that group. And so I've been doing that now for a few years. And, and so that's to explain, and, and I think everybody has to know their limits. I think two board positions is, is a pretty good mix for me, one that's 50 years old, and, you know, the 50-year-old movement of Special Olympics, one that's a little more you know, in its infancy. So, but yeah, those are That's awesome. hugely important in, in, in both um, using my skills to help organizations that really need it. And also it's helping develop me. I'm learning more and more, um, you know, from, from each of those communities. That's awesome. And, and certainly, you know, a great story. I think all the listeners can hear the passion in your voice and you certainly uh, appreciate the transparency throughout this entire podcast. And I think, you know, Jamie, this has been great. It's been very cool to hear from someone that has stayed in hockey their entire life, you know, that, that dream everyone has. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Yes. All right. So if you were a professional wrestler, what would be your entrance theme song? Well, a um, couple of quick thoughts there, Travis. So first of all, I'm not a huge wrestling guy. <laughs> so I'll preface it by saying that, but it's, it's hard for me not to think of like Kid Rock with American Badass. Um, it's just one of those songs that I associate with wrestling, the little wrestling that I've watched. Um, I think it's the undertaker, somebody that comes out to that. So he might have a problem if I pick that song, but you know, wouldn't be the worst idea too. I don't know if you watch the show Songland. I don't know. It's, it's, um, basically songwriters it's amateur songwriters that, that, that try to put songs together for artists and and so I think if I were a wrestler I might maybe deploy some funds to try to have someone write me a song that that fits my background and, and maybe not use one that's already out there too that would be another way of maybe skinning right. that cat I love it I love it so if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life what would it be Man, I, I, that's a pretty easy one for me. I love pizza. Okay. Um, nothing like a small, like every time you go to a town, you find that local pizzeria that does it just right. And I think, uh, and there's so many different types of pizza. And especially now, they're getting goofy with what they make for pizza. Uh, but I'd have to say I could live on pizza probably every day the rest of my life. All right, perfect. 
What is the last thing that you've completed that's been on your bucket list? Last bucket list item for me, um, probably not one that I grew up thinking about, but I'll, I'll put one in the family hemisphere is that we, uh, a buddy of mine owns an RV and he kept saying, hey, anytime you want to use this RV. And my wife and I had talked about taking our children out to see Mount Rushmore, you know, one of the yep. most historic landmarks in, in America and especially at times like this. So last summer, we, uh, we got this RV and, and we drove across country and did the Black Hills and got out to Mount Rushmore. And, and uh, if you've never traveled with your family in an RV along with your dog, <laughs> um, it's an epic journey. And, and I'll just say that without going into a lot of detail, let's just say that our RV broke down the first night. And uh, that was uh, quite the adventure. So it, it really, going back to resilience, it doesn't just work in business careers, it works in your, your family life too. But Man, those are memories that we'll take with us, and and hopefully uh, that was just something that was always important to me is take my kids to see Mount Rushmore, so we can check that off the box. I'm sure that was quite the experience. I'm sure some store some great stories from you and your wife, but also from your kids' perspective as well. So, yeah, Jamie, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? You know, a couple things. Um, be adaptable. Be flexible, whatever word you want to, you know, you can wordsmith that. But I remember um, recently watching Mike Krzyzewski, who I, I'm not a big basketball guy, but I, I really respect what he's done with the Duke basketball program. And, and I remember an interview and, and they say, how have you done it? How is Duke basketball always in the top of the standings? And, and he said, you have to be adaptable. And it's not just saying, hey, I'm going to let everyone that I lead, lead me. But, but knowing that um, you have to change as the times change, especially again, if you look at what's going on in the world, adaptability um, is a big one. And I'm, I'm probably going to repeat myself because I just believe in it. I think you, you know, something or along the lines of resilience and accountability and and vulnerability. I know those are three different words, but they all sort of all same are, are very um, important in any leader's life. And and probably this skill of listening, I would put in there as as a, as a third and, and, and not just living in your world and living outside your world, reading a lot, understanding perspectives, calling on, you know, people that, that, that you respect and admire and, and, and get, gathering as much information as you can when it comes to making decisions and, and knowing that, you know, you have to live with decisions, but you, it's okay to say, Hey, I made a mistake. Let's try it a different way. And so, um, that's a lot. I hope that's three, yeah. but, um, Love it. Might be five, <laughs> but those Man. are just some of the things that, um, you know, that I believe in. And, and again, I'll say, you know, what I said at the beginning, I'm only one man in the world of sports that, and, and just cause I have that perspective, maybe there's a few things that, that you would say, yeah, that resonates and maybe that one doesn't, but um, having humility too is just, it's, you know, I'm not saying I have it all figured out or I'm the smartest guy around because I'm certainly not. And, and there's still a lot of developing I need to do. And I hope to be, you know, working in this industry for the next 20 years. You know, I'm nowhere close to being done. And, and wherever that takes me and whoever I can learn from next is, is really where I'm going to be focusing, focusing my time and energy. And, and but right now, that's with the Minnesota Wild and, and, and doing what I can to make that organization the best I can. Well, I love it. Jamie, this has been awesome. Ton of great advice, uh, ton of transparent conversations. So certainly appreciate it. You've obviously had 
uh, a great journey in this career. You've talked about always a pleasure talking to you. So I, I really appreciate your time and expertise. Yeah, and thanks, Travis. I want to say for reaching out and selecting me to be on this podcast. I hope it's been helpful. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm open to, you know, contact too, whether that's something that, you know, one of your viewers or listeners or somebody wants to do. I mean, that's sort of that pay it forward mentality. Um, I know I've been on other um, podcasts before or done some lecture series and things, and, and I, I, I'm open to that as well. So we'll keep that in mind. Well, we appreciate that. And listeners, you know, take full advantage of that. That's what we always say in this business. Like if people lend a, a helping hand, take full advantage of it, you know? So, so we certainly appreciate that, Jamie. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. So follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.